Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sofen. In the Smart Firefighting Podcast, we cover technology and innovation trends across public safety. Here in this mini-series from the recent Innershit show at Hanover, Germany in June 2022, we bring you more than 12 episodes from the show floor. We have a lot of amazing speakers, and I'm really excited for all your feedback from this content. I find myself asking everyone to paint a picture in these episodes quite a bit, so bear with me because it was really hard to fully capture the Innershit event in words. A key message that we hear multiple times throughout this podcast is that in order to innovate in public safety, we must ask questions and listen to first responders. We've got two ears and one mouth, so let's use them accordingly. This episode is brought to you by Flame Systems. Flame offers fully immersive virtual reality solutions for training in hazardous and emergency situations. This allows first responders to learn how to fight fires in safe, realistic, dynamic virtual environments. To learn more, check out flamesystems.com. In this episode, you're going to hear from Paul McDonough, who leads the first responder research group in DHS SNT's first responder disaster resilience portfolio. We're going to talk about what is the Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate for first responders? How is the DHS SNT identifying these capability gaps and bringing together different stakeholders? There's a lot of funding out there for small businesses to bring technology in the field. And we're going to dive into what is this recent report, the Project Responder 6, in this latest iteration of this effort. What you will hear is a comprehensive study of emergency response capability needs across the changes in the operational environment. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed creating it. All right, we are here at Innershoots at the DHS SNT booth alongside Paul McDonough. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. So for those of us that aren't here at Innershoots, paint a picture to what you see and what you've experienced here the week so far in Hanover. Well, I think the biggest picture is enormous. This is really a very, very large facility, and every space is filled with first responder, mainly fire, but first responder technology, equipment, knowledge products. It's extremely impressive. It is. And I was saying on the way over here, I saw 300 new company booths walking through a different hall that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I was walking yesterday, and I went by two halls that are completely full that I didn't see over the last four days. It's almost a bit overwhelming and don't know where to start, where to end, but here we are. For those of us that don't know you or your title or the the organization you work for, tell me about who is Paul and what is DHS S&T? So I'll start with DHS S&T, and that's the abbreviation for Department of Homeland Security, Science and Technology Directorate. And inside that, I work in a small office that is the operational research and analysis. And so... What I do there is I'm a portfolio manager, and my portfolio consists of first responders across the United States. So I represent police, fire, emergency medical services, emergency management, public safety communications, and then we have a couple of specialty groups. We call it red ops, but it's bomb technicians that could come from either police or fire. And then we also have canine detection for explosive devices. So a wide range of public safety groups that you're covering in terms of who are they, what do they do, and really understanding their their challenges. Correct. Tell me about when you're going out and you're really trying to help public safety in these different ways, how do you understand these challenges? Because you mentioned bomb technicians, tactical operators, they all have such a wide range of different challenges they face. 
how does DHS go about understanding that, seeking to understand what the problem is, and then how do you use those insights to drive your programs? So I'll take the insights at the end, but what we do is we work directly with first responders. So we're the only entity that goes out and actually directly surveys and has ongoing communication with what I call subject matter experts, active participants in the first responder field. So I currently have about 160 that are part of a first responder resource group. We pull this group together. We talk to them about what's on their plate, what is hindering them from being able to do their jobs better. And we call that capability needs. So we identify their capability needs. And what's interesting, as you said, they're all unique. But what's also interesting is when we bring them together, they're also facing the very same or similar capability needs. Clearly, and you know this from PR6 that came out recently, sending information from the field to command so that command has good situational awareness of what our first responders are facing make good decisions, not only to keep our responders safe, but to improve performance in the field. That literally cuts across every discipline that I mentioned earlier. And so that's one of our highest priorities and has been for quite a while. But there's a couple other things that come out. You know, fire has unique personal protective equipment needs. Police have other needs. Interesting enough, communication. Even after all these years, it's still a high priority. Being able to communicate with the person standing next to you or coming in from out of town to support you in an emergency. So much in there. And one that I really liked you talked about is the idea of getting data and taking that data and getting to command and allowing command to use that to make command decisions, but also really most importantly, give insights to first responders in the field. And I think what really struck me yesterday was Dr. Lori Moore Merrill when she was talking about data. She talked about approaching it from this perspective. First, what data? Then so what are you so going to what? do about yeah. it? And then now what are you going to do about that? And it's interesting because different disciplines are going to apply it differently. But the information itself, we can get a lot of information, but it has to be valuable. And then once it's there, do you push it back down to the troops so they know what's going on? Or how do you factor that into your action plan so that you can actually be effective in your response? And what we're seeing is those entities that are able to send and receive information in real time are performing better than those that have delays in the response aspect. And talk to me about that, getting the right data to the right person at the right time and why, because you and I, our brains are only so big, <laughs> you know, we're sitting here, I can only handle so much in information, but how do we, should we be thinking about not overloading the cognitive load of the first responder so they can be effective and, and do their task at hand? So I think what, how you end up doing that is putting a lot of that decision point on either the discipline itself or the level within the discipline. So command can, has the ability to process more. They don't have as much going on, right? You're fighting a fire or you're chasing a bad guy. You, don't, you have limited time to react. The responders need to be able to identify those things that they want and push that information to them. Command, again, can filter. And if you're gonna push it even higher than a field command, say to an emergency operations center, the emergency managers, they have the ability to collect even more data and try and do long range projections and things like that. So I think the biggest thing is putting it in the hands of the user themselves. I can't remember the exact phrase, but uh, a quality user interface is one of them, but being able to select or deselect what you wanna receive at that time is also important. Mm -hmm. There'll be mandatory things like alerts and warnings and things like that, but the rest of it, I think the responder needs. Yeah, and I think that's to have kind of like the standard foundational platform of data that's created to data that's provided, but 
as you mentioned, between different capabilities, whether it's from fire, police, law, to whether it's from rural to urban, from volunteer to metro, to whatever it may be. It's the idea of, I always joke with my family of SSBD, same, same, but different. And <laughs> That'll being, work. being able to make yep. it modular to where you can kind of, you can add on or you can subtract right. or you can just have the basics. Correct. So I was talking to a vendor next to us and he has a software program that sends a lot of data. Well, some people will want a multiple of screens open because they can process that quickly. I said, do you have the ability to do that? He says, yeah, we do. And that's great because some will just work on the single screen, but others may want to have two or three, two or three screens that they're checking constantly. And that's where the value comes. Okay, I have data, but what am I going to do with it? Somebody that has to relay that information, they want it right now, and they have to be able to push it out. Yep. That's important. So earlier in the conversation, you yep. mentioned this SR6. What is it? It's PR6. Oh, my gosh. Here yeah. I am. That's okay. Notes. Well, there's Actually, a little you know, my bit of background noise. My handwriting is just so bad, you know, I just kind of, kind of <laughs> scribbled. Okay. So PR6. So what is PR6? PR6 is a survey of first responders from across the United States. And we do it approximately every three years. COVID kind of put a hiccup in that, obviously. But this is our sixth iteration. So hence PR6. First one was Project Responder and then two, three, four, five, and six. And it just was published last week. It's on the web. And what it is, is what do first responders consider their concerns or areas of interest, not just right now, but going into the future. So this is written from the first responders point of view and what they are facing and what they want some support in dealing with as they go forward. And so this, you talked about, it's a survey. Was that sitting down, having conversations, putting technology in the hands of first responders, letting them try it, break it, fix it, iterate? Like what, what was that process like? And now, now that we have that information, what do we do with it? So I say survey, it's survey assessment. We, we wanna assess what they are thinking. And so that we, as DHS, have an idea what's going on. How that occurred was they held multiple meetings until COVID, and then they did more one-on-ones or onlines. And so it was direct communication interview style with the first responders as to what they were facing, what they thought their needs were. And then that also covered, by the way, all those same disciplines that we talked about earlier. So multiple multiple disciplines all coming together to say, this is what we're thinking about. The report itself is divided basically into two parts with subcategories within each, six big pillars. And they cover everything to some of the normal things that they face day to day and then some of the newer things that they're facing here, specifically with climate change and things like that. And I think we've seen within public safety, we know that everything is changing from the technology that we're using to the built environment, to the stuff that is going inside the built environment, to the things that humans are using from the rise of electrical cars and, and, and solar panels on roofs and just stuff changes over time. And commonly first responders are the ones left with figuring out, okay, well now how do we respond to that effectively? Right. And that, that ties in this whole concept of these evolving landscapes in these different environments. Tell me more about these evolving landscapes. Of course, there's so many of them, but maybe one that's really relevant right now is, is wildland. What, what, and for, for those, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and innovators that listen to this podcast, paint a picture on like, what, what are, how has the landscape changed and what should we be thinking about as we're trying to innovate in these new landscapes? So the one thing I will tell innovators is listen to your client base, which in this case is first responder community. If you're not talking to them or reading about them or listening to podcasts like this, 
you have to understand what their needs truly are because for many, many years, hey, I have a great product here, you need to buy this. And then sometimes they buy it and it doesn't work or people never buy it. And they're like, hey, oh, it's a great idea. But you gotta flush out your customer base. So that's my first thing for industry. And we do that and PR6 will also give them a little greater understanding as to what they're thinking about right now. And if they do have a product, then there are a number of avenues with DHS that they can look at. We have a lot of uh, announcements, not only for grant awards, but for uh, long-range contracts to develop solutions for first responders. I think the other side of that is applying, say, for the wildland. I, I don't think I have to tell anybody, actually worldwide, that we're experiencing wildland fires at a tremendous rate, and they're extremely devastating. Part of that, it's difficult to heat all that. The weather's changing. But we're also seeing human interactions greater in the wild. They're building more homes. They have more access out there. And so how do we defend and interact with that? So that's high on the landscape. But for me, as a a DHS person, what I'm looking at right now is how do I protect those responders that are out there, you know, 100 miles from any kind of service? How do we keep them healthy so that they can continue to do their job? And we're looking at a couple of avenues there not only in respiratory protection, but their PP, their, their clothing, personal protective equipment, and then also situational awareness, letting their commanders know where they're at in the field in real time, so that if we end up with a dramatic wind shift or a vehicle breaks down and they're in a hazardous area, we can get in, get them out of there, and then continue to have them work on the fire doing the good stuff instead of getting hurt. It's amazing work, and I, I know within the wildland component, PPE and situational awareness, those two alone are critically important. And I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into those. You mentioned, we we talked earlier about getting data, processing data, letting first responders know. Talk me through some of your experience bringing those kind of technologies and concepts from concepts, from idea to prototype to implementation to being in the field, Mm -hmm. and and maybe from even the, the context of a DHS program. I know I saw that the stats on the, on the board the other day with like all these different numbers of technologies that have been brought to market and users, but from a wildland standpoint, PPE and situational awareness, could you kind of just paint a picture or walk me through that process? So real quickly on PPE, we're currently in development of a wildland respirator. So the wildland can't carry an SCBA like they do in the cities. It's too heavy, too bulky, very, very limited airtime in terms of the work environment for the wildland firefighter. You can't swap them in and out. So we're working on one that will filter the air and work at least up to 10 to 12 hours. That way they can stay in the field, do that, be fully protected. Clearly, you know that the smoke has negative effects on the human body, all the cancer agents, et cetera. So that's one area. And we have a, at the website, you can type in DHS, first responder, and then wildland respirator, and it'll pull up a little fact sheet of what we're developing. We're hoping that goes to market fairly soon. Obviously, we want to make sure that we have all the right certifications. Additionally, on wildland firefighters for situational awareness, one of our partners, we have a national lab that was working on utilizing existing satellite technology to zoom in on the wildfires and using thermal imaging to say, hey, yeah, you have a lot of smoke over here, but your hotspot's really here. And that has really shifted where commanders, uh, the incident management teams that are trying to manage and get ahead of these wildland fires, they're able to redirect resources or at least anticipate where some of the growth of that fire might be. And that was done by, if I remember correctly, Pacific Northwest National Laboratories. And I think that's going to really improve the situational awareness in terms of reacting to an active fire. 
that was interesting. You talking about great use case of using satellite imagery and that kind of or satellite info where you hear that phrase where sometimes where there's smoke, there's usually fire. But actually, that's not maybe always the case in wildland where, where there's smoke, they actually the hotspot somewhere else. And it's, it's such a simple, practical way of taking available technology and making that available, accessible to the right person at the right time to make a good operational insight. I can't stress that enough. And then you can use that satellite technology with current weather conditions. Now, unfortunately, you get those heat plumes that go up at wildland fires. Those hot embers can travel for miles. So now when you combine both of those, how hot is it? Are we getting embers? What's the wind like? We now know what's downrange. Mm. Again, trying to keep people out of harm's way and then protect our environment. Yep. So you've mentioned a few programs. I know there's a lot of different initiatives going on. What are some of the programs that are active right now within DHS S&T that first respond, that let's start on the entrepreneur side and innovators. What programs are available and live right now? And what are some in the next six to 24 months that people should just be on the lookout and be aware of? So you're going to hate me for this. I can't actually give you an active one because I didn't review that before I came in. But I can tell them about a couple of sites that they can go to. Yeah, perfect. Type in, you know, DHS Small Business Innovation Program and Silicon Valley Innovation Program. Those are two ongoing programs that will constantly put out, I call them notices, I think they call them announcements, for requests for proposals. And then they'll give you a set of what they're looking for. We're looking for uh, situational awareness that can work in low connection environments. It has to be you know, ruggedized, whatever. They put all those requirements in there and then they wait for someone to put in a solicitation. The beautiful thing about this is you can get a grant award in phases. So first phase, hey, here's our proof of concept. Okay, we'll let you build that. And then you come back. And if it works, then we phase the, fund the next phase and so on and so on. And I think it goes up to up to a million, 1.5 or $2 million, $2 million and so these in are, funding. There are these high-level needs. You, put, yep. you propose an idea based on the need. And then DHS is giving entrepreneurs, technology companies, different rounds of funding throughout the phases. And that is, is that sort of no strings attached, non, like grant, non-dilutive funding, or what, what, what's sort of the funding like? So first of all, I'm gonna to learn to condense my phrasing as, as you did, but second of all, there are stipulations. You still have to perform, right? It is a contract, but in that, the funding is yours to use to accomplish your contract. So there's, I, I won't say there's no strings attached, but it's very open because again, we're trying to spur creativity. And one other thing with these two programs and a couple others that we have, such as long range or broad agency announcement, which is we put out and we say, hey, anyone who wants to put in, uh, some of them are longer range, it might be five to 15, 20 years. Obviously these are short term, right? So hopefully less than a couple years. We put those out all the time because we're trying to spur and reach that creative community out there. The people who are, like you said, are in the business of trying to help us, but maybe they don't know where to go. Mm. So again, going to the website's probably the best thing. Yeah, and I love that, spurring creativity. Yeah. And just to know that there is funding out there that can help fund your development, yeah. that can help push you further. And there's a lot of resources out there from you and Dan and Jeff and everyone else I've seen here from DHS that it's your job to, to help. And I think I want to encourage everyone to really take advantage of that. And thank you for that, because I want you to keep that message, because they may go to the website once and go, well, there's nothing here for me. But they may send one out in three more months or another six months after that. So they're not limited to only once a year. 
So if they constantly just ping the website, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you can sign up for announcements. Mm. If those who are innovative or creative or in the business world, they're already supplying product and they want to know what people are looking for, those are great sites to go to. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So it's June 2022. We're here at Innerschutz. It's been a little bit of an exhausting week, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's been so amazing connecting with people like yourself, firefighters from around the world, technologists from around the world, and a lot that I'm continuing to already reflect on that I'm excited to bring back to America. But in your mind, from walking your show, having conversations, looking at tech, and even just best practices, what are some things that you've taken away from the show that you think we can bring back to the American fire service and public safety sector? So I I think the biggest thing that I saw here was the level of creativity. And some of it is at the small business level, as you've seen some of these booths, electric vehicle fires. They're uh, unfortunately they're growing it. They're out there. We have to figure out how to deal with them. And you're seeing some of the bigger companies have answers, but I saw a rather creative one from a little tiny booth at the far end of the hall here. And it's interesting the level of commitment that they've put into it. So there are a lot of people out there that want to help our first responders do the great, great job. And I think I want to work on getting the message out more uh, back home. And it appears that the message is out because I think this is the biggest fairgrounds in the world, somebody said. Yeah. And it's full. I mean, there is a lot going on here. That is something else that we want to try to take back. And we already have it couple of conferences, FDIC, you know about the, mm-hmm. that conference, et cetera. And that's really good. But try to push that creativity out to uh, maybe some of the smaller business or people that we don't normally hit and see what they come up with. Yep. Yeah. I'm hoping at the next internships, there will be a solid contingency of the top 20 to 50 USA startups here. Because as much as I was thinking, hey, what can we take from Europe and bring back home and, shit and, and learn from them so we're not reinventing the wheel? But vice versa, there's a lot that we're yeah. doing in America that I know has am- amazing creativity that we could be bringing here in, in Europeans and Australians and, and, and Asian countries and African countries that could all take and share and learn from each other. No, I, I completely agree. I think there's definitely a space for them here. Yeah. So final thing, uh, what would be a final message, question, mic drop that you would love to leave with our listeners today? Well, I think the biggest thing is back home, there's a lot of people that really care about our first responders. And it was nice to see that same energy here. You know, the private sector, the citizens come by They're Oh, you're here for inner suits. Oh, we love you. Right. You first responders, that kind of thing. But I think what I, I don't really have a mic drop, but I guess what I would say is don't underestimate someone's creativity. There's a gentleman here that's working on a, everyone else would call it an ectoskeleton suit. But it's not quite that because they're not there. But it is an assistive device that might prolong your capability in the field. And to quote the, the gentleman, I'm just an engineer. I'm not a sales guy. I'm not a marketing guy. I just really want to help. And I think there's a lot of people out there that want to do that. And so I'm hoping with your podcast and you know maybe some pushing from our side on DHS that we can continue that back home. That's what I really want. Really well said on the exoskeleton conversation because I think a lot of people look at him and Look, as I'm walking around, they're like laughing, taking photos. I did as well because I'm interested in continuing the conversation. But it's not, at least yet, trying to create Iron Man, you know, so you can jump through the roof. Someone asked him, he's like, oh, can you jump higher? He's like, no, but I can do the same jump carrying 35 pounds. And that's an interesting way to phrase it of 
an assistive device that allows you to do your capabilities longer and safer. Safer. One, and not to continue this on too long, but that's one of the biggest injury rates for firefighters is lifting and carrying, right? Mm. They lift up people from odd positions. They're carrying heavy items, getting it out of the way. If we can keep them healthy longer, that's helping them. Sound, they do a better job. Sounds like a W for everyone. Paul, thank you so much for all that you do. Exciting to see everything going on with DHSNT and keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity yep. and have fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast today. If you enjoyed what you heard and got any value, please drop us a rating, leave us a comment, or reach out to us on social media. Have a great day, and together we can advance the future of smart firefighting.